1992, at the U.S. Olympics, a guy by the name of Derek Redmond was running the 400-meter race. The thing that was unique about Derek is that he had been trying to get there for years. He had suffered a, a lot of injuries. Uh, matter of fact, he had had eight surgeries in four years because of injuries. But this year was going to be different. He had finally be, he was healthy. He was running better than he ever had in his life. He breezed uh, through the, the first two rounds without with barely breaking a sweat. And he, he clocked the best time in the first round. And so he finally felt like he was ready. Derek did. And the gun sounds, the race begins, and he takes off, starts well. He's going well. He's running extremely well. Has a good chance of, of finishing the race in the top three, winning But then down the back stretch, something happens. All of a sudden, Derek pulls up, snapped his hamstring. He hobbles, goes down to the track. And he's there. He's, uh, of course, emotional. He's crying. He's kneeling face down toward the track. But then something incredible happens. Derek decides he's going to finish the race. He gets up, and he hobbles painfully, pain all over his face, he hobbles toward the finish line. In an amazing, amazing show of endurance and strength. Wouldn't you agree? The pain he must have been in, yet he continued to move forward. You know, the Bible compares life to a race. You know, Paul talks about running the race, and it is a race that we run. Uh, as we run this race of life, there are going to be times where we fall down. There are going to be times where we get knocked down. But regardless of whether or not we fall down or we get knocked down, we still have to continue to move forward. We have to have endurance. It's by the power of God, by the strength of God, but we are called to endure. As a matter of fact, God expects us to be faithful to him even when we've gotten knocked down, even when things are tough. Regardless of what life brings, God expects our faithfulness, and he, he deserves our faithfulness. I mean, he's worthy of all that we have, all that we are, because if you are a child of God, he's bought you with a price. Your life is now not your own. My life is not my own. It's his. And so God expects our faithfulness. And in Daniel chapter 3, which is where we're going to be today, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3, a familiar story. Uh, We're going to look at some biblical examples of faith. We're going to look at two examples, two strands of biblical faith. The first is that faith is obedience to God's sovereign commands. I mean, that's one aspect of faith. We have commands that God has given us, and we are called, we are expected to follow those commands, right? Another strand that we see here is, is of faith is that it's trust in God and his sovereign will whatever his will is for my life. So I'm going to obey God's commands, and I'm going to continue in faithfulness, and I'm going to trust in his will, even if it doesn't make sense to me. Biblical faith will always enable us to stand firm when we come face-to-face with the fiery trials of life. And we're going to see a great example of that this morning in Daniel chapter 3. You know, most people say it's, it's easy to be faithful when things are good, right? Well, I would argue that it's pretty hard even when things are going well, 
right? To really follow Christ, to pursue him, to be faithful in all that we're doing, it's pretty tough even when things are going well. It's really, really tough when things aren't going so well, when you've been knocked down, or, or life is, is, is not so great. You're, you're being hit with a lot of trials, a lot of things uh, that are difficult. Faithfulness is tough. Let's just be honest about that before we get started this morning. Faithfulness is hard. You know, becoming a Christian is easy in the sense that, you know, I, I receive Christ as a gift. There's nothing I can do to earn it. There's nothing. I don't earn it. And so that is, that's easy. It's living for Christ day in and day out, day in and day out in this broken, fallen world. That's when it gets hard. I mean, faithfulness is difficult, but we're called to be faithful nonetheless. Character, we learn is built through adversity and no other way. If you want to build character, you've got, you, your, your faith is going to be tested. That character is going to be stretched. That character is going to be tested. It's in those difficult times, in those fiery trials of life, that God molds us and builds our character in ways that he can't when things are good because we depend on him more. We look to him more. Uh, we, we grow more. In those situations, in those, those times of adversity, when we're under the gun, it's how we respond. True character is shown in how you respond when you're under the gun. It's, it's when your true character comes out. It's easy to, uh, to, to put on a face or, or to act like everything is good and, and to do all the right things maybe when times are good. But when it's tough, when you, how we respond shows what our true character is. And that shows the depth of our faith in Christ. And so as we look at Daniel chapter 3, in in this passage we see three men who faced uh, an incredible test of their faith and, and, and had to have been, hands down, the most difficult test of their faith at this point. I mean, an, an incredible test. Were they going to do the right thing or were they not? And so as we look through this chapter, we see that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set up this golden statue, this huge golden statue, and he gives a command. It's an image. It's in the plain of Dura. It's about um, uh, just a few miles south of Babylon, and, and he gives this command that when musical instruments play, that everybody in the kingdom is to bow down and worship this image. All right, he, he, that, that's the command. He, he calls all of his, his advisors, the satraps, treasurers, judges, magistrates, all of these, these, these officials to come to the dedication of this, this image. And as soon as all of these instruments start playing, everybody present is supposed to bow and worship this image that he set up. And he, this is, procl- this is sh- uh, commanded in, in a loud voice in verse 4 of Daniel 3. A herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation, language, you are commanded. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down in worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. So just to make it interesting, he has this furnace right next to where this statue is, and he says, all right, when the music plays, you are to bow down. If you don't, you go into the fire. So, I mean, the consequences of not obeying the king are right there. And, they, you know, they can probably feel the heat from the fire where they're standing. And so it's obvious what's going to happen. And you can imagine this sight, right? Thousands of people 
gathered. The commands given. The instructions are given. The throne of the king is here. The furnace over here. The commands given. Either you bow or you go into the furnace. And, and all of these folks, all of these people, rulers, leaders in this kingdom, uh, judges, magistrates, all of these folks are given the command, and then I would imagine there's silence. And then all of a sudden, they're all waiting for the music to begin. And then all of a sudden, the, the silence is broken with this loud music. All these different instruments play. People all over this vast sea of people immediately drop to their knees in an instant, except for three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This whole group of people drop, but these three guys stand in obedience and faithful, faithfulness to the one true God. You know, I can imagine the whispers through the crowd, what are they doing? Don't they know? Can't they see the fire? Can't they feel it? But yet they stand. They stand firm. And then, of course, these jealous guys who probably talked Nebuchadnezzar into it to begin with, into building this statue, they go and they tell Nebuchadnezzar what's going on. They go straight to the king. He has these three guys brought before them, and then we read the rest of the story together. So let's just walk through these verses. We're going to read several verses this morning, so you can follow along with me in in chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the god, little g, pay attention to that, it's important later, Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer concerning this question. If the God we serve... Now, that's not them questioning whether or not he exists. They're saying if he he exists, and we know that he does, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not rescue us, we want you, the king, to know that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, I would imagine so. And the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. So if they didn't feel the heat before, they're feeling it now. And he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar jumps to his feet in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied to the king. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around 
in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. He's close. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you servants of the Most High God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a a hair of their heads was singed, their robes were unaffected, and there was no smell of fire on them. You ever just been close to a campfire? These guys didn't even smell like smoke. Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God, Big G, we'll come back to that, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I issue a decree that anyone of any people that that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump, for there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So this story, this example, how do we, the question for all of us, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand firm in the face of the fiery trials of life? That's the question we want to answer. Well, the first thing we need to do, we need to be willing to be different. You got to dare to be different. You got to be willing to go against the, the popular view of culture, whatever that is, if it's contrary to God's word, which it absolutely was in this case. We're told in 1 John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Of course, that's talking about our love is of God. It is for God above all else. The world is fallen. And so you can't serve two masters. You either serve God or you serve the world. You serve the things of the world. Where's your loyalty? You've got to be willing to go against the popular view. Everyone bowed except these three guys. Everybody. Every single person except them. They stood in utter defiance of the king's command, King Nebuchadnezzar, because they knew the command of the king was much greater. And his power was much greater. So they, they defied the earthly king in order to obey their heavenly father, in order to obey God, the king of kings. They followed God's instruction instead of Nebuchadnezzar because there's a clear command in Exodus 20 verses 4 and 5 that God gives us. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. That's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar had done, right? Do not bow and worship to them. So even if they didn't make it, if they bow and worship it, they're violating this command. And do not serve them for I, the Lord... Your God am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. So they, that's the clear command for all of us. If we're going to follow God, we can't worship an idol. And so they knew if they were going to be faithful to God, they could not worship this idol. It didn't matter what the consequences were. So they had a decision to make. Were they going to bow or were they going to follow God? Were they going to obey God? And so they did not bow. And as a result, these jealous guys, these astrologers, who they did what my youngest kids do when one of them does something the other one wants to get them in trouble for, they tattled, right? 
Thankfully, Gracie and Timmy have sort of grown out of that. But my younger two, I mean, they, they constantly, they, they're constantly tattling on each other. And what usually happens is they both end up getting in trouble because they've both done something wrong, but they want the other one to get in trouble, right? And that's exactly, I mean, that's what these guys are doing. They see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bow, and they they go immediately to the king, look, these guys are not doing what you told them to do. They want to get rid of them. I mean, this is is warfare. This is spiritual warfare. They're trying to get rid of these, these guys who are being faithful. But they did not conform. They, all this pressure, the heat of the furnace, all of this, they would not conform. Now, most of us, if we're honest, we want people to like us. I mean, some people don't care, I guess, but I, I like for people to like me. I, you know, I think we, we all should, should, should have a goal to, to be at peace with everyone, right? Uh, but that's not always possible. I remember one time, and I've probably told this story before, but you know, when Mandy and I met, I was on staff at my home church, and the way that we met was that, 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 and I'd grown up in that church, but her dad became the pastor of that church. I was on his staff, right? And so Mandy and I met after he and I met, and we decided that we kind of liked each other, right? So we decided we were going to, I invited her to go to a, a Christmas party we were having with our college and career class at the time. And, you know, it was, it was hey, we're, we're having this party. Why don't you come with me and some friends of mine? I had ulterior motives. I was, you know, trying to get her to like me too. But th- she agreed. So uh, my best friend at the time, and, and I won't mention his name just because, you know, he might watch this and I don't want to embarrass him. But uh, my best friend at the time and his girlfriend, they're now married. They've been married for years. But we, we had known each other. I grew up next to his wife, now wife. We had known each other for years. So we went together. The three of us went to pick up. Mandy. Now, again, this is the pastor of the church who is also my boss, okay? And so I want to make a good impression. And, and we pull up to the house, and my friend decides that as we pull up, he's going to let her know we're here by laying down on his horn. I, I think I made it from that car to her front door in less than two seconds because I thought, oh, if her dad is home. If he hears this, I'll, she'll never be able to go. She'll never go out on a date with me ever again. Why? Because I wanted to make a good impression. Thankfully, her dad was not home. He's heard that story since. What was so funny was uh, my my friend's now wife was in the back seat. I was in the front, and she was hitting him over the head the whole time. Why are you honking the horn? You know, because she knew that was not the best introduction. That was not a great way to make a good impression. We want to make good impressions. We want people to like us. And sometimes we should do that. We should go out of our way to make sure that we that people like, especially if you know the 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 girl that you like is your pastor and your boss, right? So, but we should want people to like us. But there are times in our life where that's just not possible if we're going to be faithful. There are going to be times where the more faithful we are, the more people are not going to like us. And that was the case here with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The reality is if you dare to be different, you're going to get a negative reaction from some people. And that's what happened. And and we see that in verses 12 through 13. These guys, they, they saw this and they immediately go to the king. And the king's reaction was negative. The reason the world, ex- the reason this is the case is in our lives, you know, the world culture just kind of expects everybody to go with the flow, right? Don't, you know, don't cause a fuss, especially today. You don't, don't go contrary to what popular opinion is. But in order to be faithful, some, sometimes we have to do that. But Jesus 
calls us to be faithful to him, to obey him, regardless of what popular opinion is. But when that happens, people will respond. Now, you can imagine standing there with the heat of this furnace on them, they could have, ra- they could have reasoned, they could have rationalized, you know, not being faithful to God. Situational reasoning, right? They could have, they could have used what's known as situation ethics. In this situation, it'd be all right to bow down because they, they would get killed if they didn't. It was pretty obvious. And surely God doesn't want me to die. So, I mean, it, it stands to reason the easy thing to do. Situation demands that I do this in order to avoid getting killed. You know, others would argue in terms of culture, the Babylonians aren't going to understand the laws of our God. And so I just need to go along with what they're doing because this is the culture. And listen, there is a, a place when we, when we are on the mission field or whatever, you know, Paul says he was all things to all people, but when it's in clear defiance of God's commands, his words, there, there's, there's no question of what the right thing to do is. But they could have made that argument. Hey, we're in this culture. They're all doing this. We don't mean it. Uh, you know, nobody we know is going to see us do this, so we'll just, you know, we'll just bow down. It's, it's the demands of the culture. Others might argue forgiveness. You know, the whole, you know, ask forgiveness later instead of asking permission beforehand kind of thing, right? You know, I'll just bow right now. God's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. I'll do this, and then I'll ask for forgiveness later. And certainly God is a loving God. He is a forgiving God. But if you have that attitude toward obedience, you are sorely misunderstanding the grace of God. And that, that's the problem with that viewpoint. As a matter of fact... When we, when we look at Hebrews 12, 15, it says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God. And certainly we shouldn't miss, no, we don't want anybody to miss the grace of God in terms of salvation. But if you claim to be a follower of God and you use God's grace as an excuse to do whatever you want, you're missing the grace of God. You don't understand what God's grace really is. God's grace should motivate us to greater faithfulness, not an excuse to do what we want. And then, of course, there's the silent protest. We'll kneel on the outside, but we won't on the inside. The problem with that is, is if you're not living it on the outside, do you really believe it on the inside? If you're not living for Christ outwardly, then you got a question as to whether or not you really truly believe who he is and what he commands on the inside. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had come, you know, they could have come up with a lot of excuses, but they had come to a place where they had to make a decision. Am I going to obey God or am I going to obey this earthly king? The consequences are great here. They didn't know if God was going to save them or not. They believed that he would. But am I going to obey him or am I going to bow and sacrifice my witness, my faithfulness? They would have had to disobey God's law. But here's the deal. Biblical faith does not compromise God's sovereign laws because faith is obedience. Faith isn't just belief, it's belief and living, acting on that belief. Faith is obedience. You can't have faith if you're not willing to obey. Those things in the biblical language and the concept, biblical concept of faith, those two things go together. Belief and action. James, faith without works is dead. Faith is obedience, and they knew that. It's obedience to God's commands, even when we're standing in front of the blazing heat of whatever furnace it is we're facing. We have to obey if we're going to be faithful. Biblical faith doesn't just go with the flow. The good news is, though, you're in good company if you're willing to be different, to follow God. 
I mean, think about Noah. He was upright in a world bent over in sin. That's what it means when it says Noah was a righteous man. He went against the grain. Think about Abraham and Sarah. Think about Joseph. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. He got a negative reaction, right? All those did. John the Baptist, he was beheaded for his message of repentance. And they all got negative reactions because they were faithful. And who in the Bible was most known for going against the grain of culture and getting a negative reaction for it? Jesus Christ. He certainly didn't go with the flow. He did what God, his father, told him to do. He was obedient. And as a result, Herod, all the religious officials, I mean, uh, the high priests, Pharisees, Sadducees, they wanted him gone. He wasn't conforming to their rules, to what they, their preconceived ideas of what the Messiah was supposed to be. They were threat, he was threatening their power, and they wanted him gone. And as, ultimately, he was beaten. He was tortured and crucified. Now, he gave his life. It wasn't taken from him, but that was the response he got for his faithfulness. You're going to get a negative response sometimes when you are willing to be faithful and go against the grain of culture. That's what we should expect, but let me encourage you here. Don't give up. Stand firm. Firm. Don't conform. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't. We need to follow Romans 12, 1 and 2. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze. This is a Phillips paraphrase, but I like the way it, it phrases this. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remold your minds from within, transform you from the inside out so that you may prove in practice, living it out, living out your faith, that the plan of God for you is good, it meets all his demands, and it moves toward the goal of true maturity. Don't conform to the world. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Obey God. Live out your faith. And you will see that God's plan for you is good and it's perfect and it's right. If you're willing to go against the grain, it will be difficult. Some people aren't going to respond the way you want them to. But as you live it out, you'll find out God's plan for you is better than anything you could ever dream up on your own. Your faith is going to be tested, though, if you do this. Just warning, big, you know, red letters, warning. Your faith is going to be tested if you're willing to live different from the rest of the culture. It's going to be tested, and that is when, when we're under the gun, when we're feeling the heat from the fire, that's when we've got to be willing to stand with conviction. Stand with conviction. If, we got to, if we're going to have faith that will endure the flames, we've got to stand with conviction. And you're going to need some things to stand up for your convictions, to stand with conviction. First, you're going to need courage. You know, when the king found out about these guys, he was hot, no pun intended, Although he probably was. He was probably pretty close to the fire. He was mad. He's the king. In his eyes, he's a god. And these guys aren't obeying him. He was mad. He was angry. And in a moment, just in, in just a few moments, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves in front of the king, even closer to the fire. They can feel the heat. Everybody's probably sweating by now, right? They are sweating because they're nervous. They're sweating because of the heat. They're in front of the king. And the king... He looks at them and he thinks, hey, there must be some mistake here. Maybe they didn't hear me. So he gives them a second chance. Look at verse 15 again. If you're now, you didn't do it the first time, I'm going to give you another chance. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue that I made. But if you don't worship it, 
you will immediately be thrown into the blazing fire. Just in case you didn't hear me the first time, this is what's going to happen if you don't bow. You're going to be thrown into this fire right over here that you can feel right now. And who is the God, little g, in Nebuchadnezzar's mind? One of many gods, him being one of them in his mind, Nebuchadnezzar thinks. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer to this question. The Living Bible, it's interesting, translates this verse, paraphrases this verse. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not worried about what will happen to us. That's faith right there. It's, don't, it's not a question of what will happen. To, I mean, he's told them, if you don't do this, you're going into this fire over here. But they're saying, I feel the heat, but we're not worried about what will happen to us. Why? Because they believed that God was in control. Regardless of what was going to come, they trusted in their sovereign God. And he is sovereign. You've got to have courage in the face of fiery trials. If you have courage, you also need to have confidence. In order to have courage, you've got to have confidence in who God is. They were confident in the sovereign God. They were confident in who he was. And you're going to need that to stand with conviction. Look at verse 17. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. Now, don't just read over that. There was no doubt in their mind God could save them from this, okay? They weren't doubting that. If we're thrown into the furnace, the God we serve is able to save us and he will rescue us from your hands. So they they knew he could and they were confident that he would. Now this is confidence, not arrogance. Don't read this thinking, oh king, we're not going to listen to you. No, they show the king the proper respect. The New Living Translation If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. They're not just arrogantly defying the king. They're showing the earthly king respect, but they're showing obedience to God. We don't have to worry about what you're going to do to us, your majesty, because we know God is able to save us, and we're confident that he will save us. They were confident in God's ability to rescue them from the fire. I want to share a truth with you that you've heard and, and maybe know, but we need to, to lock into our minds right now, okay? Uh, a truth from God's Word. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ask or think. There are no limits to God's power. You know, we, we know that and we read that, but do we live as to show that we truly believe that? There is nothing that God cannot do. He's all-powerful. He's God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that, and they believed that. They were willing to live by that. We have to have confidence in God. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you, a lot of this has to do with your attitude. You know, are, do you, are, do you, what, what's your attitude toward life in general? What's your attitude toward God? If you have a negative attitude, you're going to have a hard time getting here. All right? if, you're all, if, if you just naturally go to the negative, you're, you're going you're to have a hard time having confidence in anything. You're going to certainly have a hard time having confidence in God who you can't see in a physical sense. 
right? So, so what, what's your attitude? Is it an attitude of humility, an attitude of trust and faith? Or is it, oh, you know, woe is me, the world's awful. You know, attitudes are kind of like, you've heard me say this before, attitudes are kind of like diapers. If you don't change them every now and then, the place starts to stink. You know, negative attitudes can ruin a culture, in a church, in a family, whatever. And, and as we move into the future that God has for this church, yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are things that are difficult. There are going to be a lot more things that are difficult, that are hard, that are heartbreaking. But as we move forward into the future that God has for us, we've got to be willing to have new attitudes, new ways of looking at the challenges that we face. We've got to be willing to follow God regardless of what the situation is and to have an attitude of faith the entire time even if it's difficult. Have you noticed that easy tasks become difficult when your attitude stinks? Even the easiest things are hard when your attitude is bad? Let me share a poem with you. And again, I think I've read this before, but I'm going to read it again because I like it. And I'm talking right now, so I can read it if I want to, right? Just kidding, just kidding. It's a good poem. What good did it do you to be grouchy today? Did your surliness drive any trouble away? Did you cover more ground than you usually do because of the grouch that you carried with you? If not, what's the use of a grouch or a frown if it won't smooth your path or bring trouble down? If it doesn't assist you, it isn't worthwhile. Your work may be hard, but just do it and smile. Now, that's kind of a feel-good, I love it. It's kind of a feel-good poem, but you, you, it's, it's more than just a positive. This isn't, you know, positive mental attitude day. This is a positivity an anticipation regardless of my circumstances because I know God, I know who he is, and I know he holds me and he holds my future. And regardless of what life brings, I know where my eternity is. I know where I'm going to spend eternity. I know where my strength comes from. I know where the power for living comes from. I know where peace and grace comes from that's sufficient for all circumstances, that's, that's beyond peace, beyond hum, human comprehension. I have that so I can face any problems with an attitude of faith and trust. doesn't mean I'm happy about everything, but I can have joy in the midst of difficult circumstances. You've got to have confidence, not in yourself, but who God is and what he's called you to do. And then commitment, that's something else that's required. It's a necessary ingredient to standing with conviction. Look at verse 18. This is really, it really hits home, okay? So far, we're doing pretty good, right? We know God's able to do this. And I believe he will. I know he's got the power to do it, and I believe he's going to do it. But verse 18 takes a turn that we've all got to ask ourselves. If we're standing next to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they say this, are we going to stand with them, or are we going to forget you guys? (laughs) I'm leaving. Verse 18. But even, we know God can do this, but even if he doesn't rescue us, we want you as king to know that we're still not going to serve your gods. We're still, in, in God's sovereignty, if for whatever reason, he chooses not to rescue us from this fire, even if our lives end today as a result of, of our lack of obedience to you, earthly king, we're still not going to bow. Only God deserves our obedience. Only God deserves our allegiance. They, they didn't say, if God delivers us, we'll serve him. 
They said, we know he can, and we believe he will, but God's God, we're not. If he chooses not to, we're still going to serve God, not you. That's faith. That's obedience in the midst of insurmountable obstacles. Every Christian agrees with that first statement. Our God will deliver us, and he can. We know our God's able to do all things. And listen, that's special when it happens. When God delivers us out of the fire, that's a wonderful thing. Who wants to hurt? Who wants to go through pain? Nobody does. So it's wonderful when he does. But we have a problem with the second statement. Even if he chooses not to, because the truth is, as many of you well know, sometimes God delivers us through the fire. Sometimes we have to hurt. Sometimes we have to suffer. God doesn't cause those things. It's a result of a fallen creation, but he certainly uses those things to mold us, to refine us. Sometimes we, got, we have to go through the fire, and that's never easy. But are we willing to agree with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? God, even if you carry us through the fire, we're going to serve you any. We're going to be faithful regardless. We're going to continue in faithfulness. We all need to ask this question. And this is, for me, in preparation for this and in looking at this, even preaching it now, this is the most pressing question for me. Are you prepared to serve God even if things don't work out the way you want them to? Am I prepared to serve God even if things don't work out the way I think they should? Even if life doesn't go the way that I plan? Even if I think I know God's will and I believe, hey, this is the way it's supposed to go with good conscience, not trying to disobey or trying to control my own life. Even if I'm living in submission and I think, hey, this is how it should work out. This would be best. And God says, no, we're going to go this direction. Am I still willing to serve God? That's a question we need to ask every day because it takes an instant for your life to change. And if you don't answer that question now, it's going to be really hard to do it in the moment when you feel the heat from the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had answered that question. We need to have a firm belief that even if God doesn't deliver us, if he does great, fantastic, praise the Lord. But even if he doesn't, praise the Lord. He's got a plan in that too. And we can trust him. Biblical faith, here's biblical faith. It's submitting to the Father's will even when it's different than yours. It's one aspect of biblical faith, but that's the truth. It's submitting to God's will because a lot of times it's going to be different than mine because he's smarter than I am. He's God, I'm not. Even when it's not something drastic like suffering. Biblical faith has the assurance to say that I know God will deliver me. He's able to. I believe he will. But it has the confidence to say I believe he will. But it also has the submission to say even if he does then I'm going to trust him. We need to be like Job. Nobody wants to be like Job. Job suffered. We need to be like Job. He lost his family. His friends turned against him. His wife, his own wife even said you just need to curse God and die. But what did Job say? Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. God's got a plan that's bigger than anything I understand right now. So I'm going to trust him. Even if I don't understand, this is the type of believer that I want to be. I'm not standing before you saying that I am 100% there. I'm not. Things happen in life I don't understand, and I struggle just like each one of you guys. All right? Some days I'm this guy, and some days I struggle really hard to be this guy. But this is who I want to be. I want to be the person who stands in front of the fire and says, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to trust you. 
I'm going to trust in your plan. Even if it's not what I want, even if it hurts to go through, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to remain faithful. I'm going to do it because I love you, because you're God. You deserve my faithfulness. I'm going to do it because my kids are watching me and my wife is watching me and I want to model faithfulness. I want to do it because you've called me to this position where I'm leading people and I want them to see my faithfulness. Most importantly, I want to do it because you deserve it. You saved me. You set me free. And I'm going to obey regardless of the consequences. I pray that's where we will all be. Confidence, commitment, That's what we're going to need in order to stand up. Courage to stand up when the whole world's against us. In order to do that, we've got to lean on Jesus. We've got to depend on our Savior, his power, his presence, his strength, his peace. Nebuchadnezzar was so mad he had the furnace heated seven times hotter. I've often wondered how he did that, but he did, or how they knew that it's God's word. So seven times hotter. If, you know, the, 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 the furnace was so hot, it killed the soldiers that led them up to the furnace, okay? You, you get the idea that Nebuchadnezzar got so mad, he just, he, he didn't think through that, really. Or didn't care about the soldiers that lost their lives. That could have been the case. And you can imagine that he enjoyed seeing Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar enjoyed seeing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego fall into that fire. And he thought, well, hey, I've shown them. They disobeyed me. Now they're dead. He probably had a smile on his face while this was happening. But then you can imagine the scene. All of a sudden, he looks in. His, he jumps to his feet, face white as a sheet. He looks down there, and not only are they not dead, they're walking around unbound, and there's not three men in there, there's now four. Now listen, some people believe this is just an angel. Some people believe it's Jesus. I believe it's Jesus Christ himself in the Old Testament with them. That's my interpretation of this. But it's okay if you believe it's an angel because here's the deal. It doesn't matter if it was Jesus in the person or an angel sent to be with them. In the midst of the fire, God was with them. His presence. And with his presence comes power. Just the presence of God comes power. And even a pagan king, an evil king like Nebuchadnezzar, when he saw the power of God, he knew what it was. He witnessed the power of God. Psalm 23, 4, David says this, even though I go and I chose the CSB here because, listen, the valley of the shadow of death, that could certainly be death, but this is really more applicable here. Even though I go through the darkest valley and life is filled with dark valleys, I will fear no danger for you are with me. Why don't I have to be afraid or why can I have have courage in the midst of the darkest valley? Because God is with me. David said, you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. It's not up to me. It's your strength, your power. They comfort me. Marilyn Monroe was once visited by Billy Graham. And he felt led to, to share the gospel with her. So he goes, she was performing a show after the show. He goes, he shares the gospel with her. And sadly, this was her response. Her response was, I don't need your Jesus. That was her response. Terrible. What makes it even worse is the fact that a week later, she was found dead in her apartment. Here's the moral of that. Whether you realize it or not, and some people don't, But hopefully you will after today. Whether you realize it or not, you need Jesus. He's your only hope. He's your only hope in this life.
He's your only hope in the midst of the trials of life. And he's your only hope for eternity. First Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 17, the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety. Paul recognized it for all the Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. God was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire. And he'll be with us. He'll be with you. You know, it's interesting the fire was selective. It burned their bindings, but it didn't burn them or their clothes. You know, sometimes we have to go through the fire to get rid of the things that hold us back. Could be sin, could be possessions, could be preconceived ideas, could be any number of things. But one thing we can be certain of is that God will be with us. The presence of God protected them because with his presence comes his power. With his presence comes his power. God is powerful enough to do whatever he wants. He's God. And as we see with these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, simply his presence is powerful. Psalm 68, 8 is a great verse that speaks to this. The earth quaked. The heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself quaked at the presence of the God of Israel. And With Christ's presence in our lives, we have that same assurance that God will be with us and that his presence is is powerful and his powerful his power is available. Second Corinthians twelve nine. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. Therefore I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses, Paul says. After they got out of the fire, the scientists examined them. I won't read these two verses, but but here here's the deal. Here's the change, okay? They examined them, no burns, their clothes aren't cinched, no smell of smoke, and suddenly it changes. What God, little g, will save you. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar's saying, God, big G, the God has saved them. There is no other God who could do what just happened here. He says, the most high, you servants of the most high God. He recognizes the power of God. And when we trust Christ, when we depend on him and his power, when he works through us, even the people around us will recognize. Because it'll be obvious that we can't do it on our own, that what's happened in our lives, just the life change that happens, can't be anything that we've done. And when, when we depend on him, when we fully submit to him, God is free to work through us. We can, not that we're stronger than God, but we can limit God's activity through us through disobedience and a lack of faith. He gives us the ability to choose to obey him or not in his sovereignty. And, but when we depend completely, when we trust him, he works through him. But here's the great thing, okay? Here's, here's the, 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 the part of this that should cause us all to rest a little bit. When we fully trust in God, even in the worst, most difficult situations, when we depend on him, yes, we have a part in it, but ultimately we get to sit back and watch him do the work. We can just watch him do what he's planned to do anyway. And we can be a part of that. Doesn't mean life's going to be easy. There's still going to be these tough decisions. There's going to, still going to be some pain involved. There's still going to be th- some things that we have to go through. But, but God works through us. This is a perfect illustration of how God used the example of these faithful men. How he uses Christians to change people's lives. Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be the God. Again, big G here. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The most pagan king there probably ever was is praising God. As a result of this, he sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any little g God except their own God, the God. You know, some people are going to react negatively when we serve God. We've established that, but some people will react positively. Some people will see faithfulness 
and see the endurance that we have that can only be explained by the power of God and will turn their lives over to Christ as a result of the witness that we've given. God will use us in that way if we will let him. The king who was mocking God just a few minutes before is now praising God because he's witnessed the power of God and it's undeniable. I want God's power to be that evident in my life. How about you? Nothing is impossible with God. Nebuchadnezzar realized that. But you know, our lives are impacted as well through faithfulness. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were made to prosper. We don't know how, but we know that they were made to prosper. Now listen, don't misunderstand. This is not name it, claim it. If you're faithful, God will make you rich. That's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. If you're faithful, even in the midst of the fiery trials of life, God will change your life. And it will be for the better. If nothing else, you will know him more, you will grow in your faith, and you will be better prepared for whatever he has for you next. He'll be able to use you in a greater way to make a greater impact for his kingdom later on. God will change your life. Our faith is going to be tested. And when it is, we can be confident that God will preserve us if we remain faithful. He'll do it in his way, but he will preserve us. These tests will change our lives, but the result is that we're going to have a more intimate walk with the Lord. We'll be more like Jesus and we'll be more effective for his kingdom. But we have a decision to make. Will we continue to finish the race even when life gets tough? Now, last we left Derek, he was on the track face down, right? Now, I want you to watch the video and see what happened after that.
Does everybody know who that was? That was Derek's father, Jim Redmond. Coming out of the stands, throwing people out of the way. Nothing was going to keep him from getting to his son. He was asked later, why did he do that? And here was his answer. He said, we started his career together. I figured it was appropriate that we finish his career together. Paul tells us that God chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will. And Paul also said in Philippians 1.6, I'm certain, so God chose us, and he says this, I'm certain that God, who began the work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day Christ Jesus returns. God says we started this race together, and we're going to finish this race together. As a church, we face a question. Will we move forward together? And by together, I mean with us trusting God. Will we be faithful even in the midst of difficult circumstances, new challenges, new tests to our faith? Will we trust God? Because God says, you know, Derek had a part in that, right? He continued And God says, you've got to keep going. But if you do, I started this, I chose you, and we'll finish this together. God says, remain faithful. What about you personally? Are you running the race? Are you enduring? You may not be enduring. You may not even be running because you don't know your Savior. And Jesus says, I give you this gift I offer you this gift of salvation. I died so that you could be free of sin. If you want this courage, if you want this strength, if you want this peace, this ability to endure, even when life is difficult, it begins by entering a personal relationship with your creator through Jesus Christ. And you can do that today. You can invite him into your life and be set free, forever free, and have hope, have assurance, have courage. Jesus, maybe you're face down on the track right now and Jesus is standing there with his outstretched arm offering to pick you up. Maybe you're trying your best to run through life and you're, you're struggling at best and he's standing there ready for you to just, you know, collapse into his arms just like Derek did his dad. But he's standing there and he's willing to take you. He's willing to accept you. He's willing to carry you if you need to be carried, but you have to accept him. You have to take his hand. You have to run the race in his strength and his power. But if you'll do that, God will change your life. If we will do that, God will change our lives forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the promise of your word that you are God, that you are powerful, that the work that you began, you will complete. If we will trust you, if we will continue in faithfulness, You will do what you plan to do with or without us. But God, I want to be a part of that. I want this church to be a part of that. But we have to walk in faith each day in obedience and endurance by your power, by your strength. Give us the strength from day to day. Lord, if there's anybody here who needs, who you've brought under conviction right now in this moment, Holy Spirit, you're speaking to their heart, drawing them to yourself. 
Lord, I pray that they would respond right now. They don't have to understand everything. They don't have to have all the answers. They just have to say yes to you. Know that you died to forgive them of their sins. And they, like we all, have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I pray that they would receive that gift of salvation right now in this moment. And then come in a few moments and let me share with them what they need to do next. But for those of us attempting to run the race, it gets tiring at times. It hurts sometimes. Lord, I just pray that right now we would just collapse into your arms. That we would depend on you completely. Your power, not ours. Your strength, not mine. Your presence, your peace, your plan, your way, not mine. May we submit. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand for our invitation?